Last week, my daughter's boyfriend, Ed, messaged me. Um, they were on their way to meet us. And Ed was messaging me to say that they'd be late. Which is a little unusual. He usually wouldn't do that. But uh, he wanted me to know that they were late. Because his girlfriend didn't want to leave until the end of the first quarter in the footy match. <laughs> now, in some households, that might be a fairly normal thing. That is not normal for my 21-year-old daughter. Uh, in fact, up until this year, she wouldn't have even known when the footy matches were on. She certainly wouldn't have watched any of it on, uh, on TV. In fact, I think it'd be fair to say that for 20 years of her 21 years, Ben couldn't have cared less about footy. But this year she's caught the bug. Uh, she's actually been to a couple of games and uh, she still has absolutely no idea what's going on. <laughs> but she loves it. She loves it. Because the truth is that I, I think at best you could still describe Beck as a weekend footy fan. Yeah. Yeah? You know what a weekend footy fan is? There's someone who, who they like to know the scores, they like to know if their team wins or loses. They might watch a game if it's on TV and they, they happen to be home. They might occasionally go to a game if it's in town and if their friends say, hey, do you want to go? But it's kind of about it for a weekend footy fan. It's very different to a seven-day footy fan. And I'm sure you, you, everyone knows at least one of these sort of people. A seven-day footy fan, they're the people who don't just track the scores of the game, but they track the stats. You know those people who not only can they tell you if their team won or lost, they can tell you how many inside 50s they had or uh, whatever those are and contested <laughs> possessions. They can, they, they, they can tell you, uh, you know, they can tell you the key stats that were the turning points in that game. Seven-day footy fans watch every game on TV uh, that their team do. They will go to every game that their team play when they come to town. They don't just pay to go to the games, they pay for membership. They, they, they pay for membership. And they, they don't just watch the games on TV, they watch the commentary on TV. Did you know there are, there are whole TV shows that just talk about the games? They don't actually play the games, they just talk about the games that were played. So you watch the game and then the next night you watch a whole other football show just talking about the games. They listen to podcasts, they follow it on social media, some of them even buy newspapers. They're still what? Some, of them, some of them even buy newspapers just so they can read what the journalists are writing about their footy team. They literally follow football seven days a week. And before you judge people like that, and I, I can see, I can see some of the looks on the faces there of people like the people live like that. You're probably not much different. Maybe not about football. But I bet that there's something in your life that gets seven-day attention for you. Maybe it's not football, maybe it's another sport. Maybe it's your work. There, there are people who so love their work that they will do it seven days a week, even when they're not at work. They will, they, they will jump online, they will do some preparation. I see some people smiling. Like, they, just, they just love their work. It's a seven-day thing for them. For lots of people, their seven-day attention is given to something that they love to do. There are people who garden seven days a week. 
Every day. Oh, gosh, exactly. No, but there are people like that. They will go into their garden every single day. There are people who cook every day, not just because they have to eat. They actually want to do it. They actually like doing it. They cook for fun. Music, there are people who play and listen and sing every day. It's part of who they are. Online gaming, reading. Do you know there are, do you know there are people who read books for fun? <laughs> there are people who read... I oh know, there's people shaking their hands like, what do <laughs> There's people who read books for fun and they do it every single day. If people have a hobby, I, I, a friend of mine uh, loves quilting. Uh, she and her husband are on holiday in Tasmania at the moment, and she posted on social media. She posted photos of a quilting shop that she found in Tasmania. Some of that, there were actual holiday photos that she wanted to share with her friends or a quilting shop. That's someone who loves quilting seven days a week. You know what I'm saying? There are people who cycle or run or swim. Every day. A friend of mine says, if I see someone running, I assume their car is broken down. <laughs> but, you know, but there are people who love, uh, who love, they will cycle, they will run, they will swim every day of the week. For some people, it's not a thing they do. For some people, it's a person or a relationship. There are, there are people, there are grown people who will talk to their kids every single day. There are grandparents who can tell you what their grandkids are doing every day. They, they know every day what their, what their grandkids are doing that day. There are girls who can't go 24 hours without talking to their boyfriends. There are boys who can't go 24 hours without talking to their girlfriends. There are some people who can't go 24 hours without texting someone. There are some people who can't go 15 minutes without texting someone. <laughs> you know, look, I don't say any of this is a judgment. Well, maybe the 15-minute text thing is a little bit of a judgment. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it's just the way people work, isn't it? When there are things that capture our hearts, when there are things that ignite us and inspire us, we give ourselves to those things in a seven-day-a-week kind of way. And it might make no sense to anyone else. For other people, it might be just a, you know, a once-a-week kind of thing. But for you, it's a seven-day-a-week thing. You know, it does make me think about our faith. It makes me think about Jesus. Because like footy and like everything that we've talked about, there's a big difference between having a weekend faith and having a seven-day-a-week faith. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there are lots of people who have a, a weekend kind of faith. They have faith in Jesus like my daughter likes footy. They believe in God. They're happy to admit that. They'll go to church when it's convenient, if they don't have anything else on, if they, if they get up on time. They might even serve somewhere. You know, if someone invites them uh, to get involved in something and, and it's convenient and they're free, they might say yes to that. They might even give. If they've got some spare cash lying around, they might even give. But it's a whole other thing, isn't it, to have a seven-day relationship with Jesus have a seven-day faith. And we're going to ask you this issue, what does it look like to have seven-day faith? I mean, do you have to go to church seven days a week? And some churches you do. 
pretty much you do anyway. You know, there are churches that have a Sunday morning worship and then they have a Sunday night worship that you go to. There are some churches that have a midweek worship. Churches that have daily prayer groups or Bible study groups or small groups. Uh, churches that have men's groups and women's groups and singles groups and craft groups. They have a youth service and a young adult service. They have hymn singing for seniors. In some churches, it would be very easy to go to church seven days a week. But is that what it means to have a seven-day relationship with Jesus? Or is there something more? Jesus didn't talk very much at all about how often we go to church. But he talked a lot about how important our faith should be. He talked a lot about the priority that our faith in God should have in our lives. Matthew 6.33, uh, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's saying that God ought to have that, that first place, that, that, that top priority in our lives. Another day, Jesus is travelling and he stops at the house of two sisters, Mary and Martha. This is in Luke chapter 10, beginning verse 38. Martha opened her home to him. Come in, Jesus, you're passing by. Come in, come in. Let's have tea together. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Jesus comes in and just begins sharing things about God and talking about faith. And Mary just plonks herself right down there, right in front of Jesus, as close as she can get, and just wants to soak it all in. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She's in the kitchen. There's a whole pile of people to feed. Got to set the table. Got to sweep things. Got to cook things. She came to Jesus and she asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell all my children I'm packing the dishwasher. <laughs> Verse 41. Martha, Martha. And when you hear in the Bible, when you hear a name spoken like that twice, it's a, it's, it, it's a, it's a kind of endearing way. It communicates care, it communicates love. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things. You've got so much on your mind. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. This is a statement about priority. Only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Again, Jesus is, is using this moment, not just for Mary and Martha, there would have been others in the room around them to make a statement about priority. While Mary's got all these things on her mind, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do that, and, and you know, you bake the bread, and I'll make the table, and, 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 and you know, you cook the stew. was Martha rather and Mary just wants to sit at the feet of Jesus yeah. and he stops and he pauses and he says that's the better choice John remembers another day when Jesus taught the same lesson like this he said I am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes 
so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus paints a picture, paints a picture of a vine, and he said, he said, I'm the vine, you're like the branches. And when you think about it, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty obvious picture, isn't it? If the, if the branches disconnect themselves from the vine, they wither and they die. He says they're not worth anything, you just gather up those branches, put them over to the side, you set fire to them. He said the only way that a branch grows and is fruitful if it remains in the vine. And I don't know if you picked it up there, uh, eight times in that short passage is the word remain. We've talked about this before. Anytime you see Bible writers, anytime that they repeat words, uh, it's one of the most common uh, sort of tricks, one of the most common ways to write, uh, to elevate something is to repeat the word. The emphasis here is to remain. Remain in me, remain in me. It's the only way Jesus says to grow and to be fruitful is to remain in me. It's a constant connection with Jesus. Not, a, not an occasional connection, not a once a week connection. Not a, I bring my branch and I connect it to the vine on, on Sundays and that'll do. It's a constant connection. And notice, none of these stories are about how often we go to church. None of these stories are about how often we go to anything. They're all about the way that we live our daily lives. They're all statements about importance and about priority. It's like Jesus figures if you get the, the priority right, then the rest sort of sorts itself out, doesn't it? You know, once you decide that you want to be a seven-day footy fan... No one has to convince you to then go and do all of these other things. It just flows out of that priority choice, doesn't it? This is about the way that we live our lives. It's about the priorities that we set. It's about the decisions that we make. There's a lot more to a seven-day relationship with Jesus than showing up at church once a week. So the next few weeks we're going to dig into what it looks like to remain in Jesus seven days a week. What it looks like to seek first his kingdom. We're going to look at some of the things that Jesus talked about and the things that he lived out. We're going to look at the way the early church lived. What was life like in that first church? And I want to say as clearly as I can be, that the goal of this series, this isn't, uh, the goal of this series isn't to make anyone feel guilty. The goal of this series isn't to uh, sort of burden you with some great to-do list and you've got to do this today and you've got to do this today and you've got to do this tomorrow. It's certainly not about trying to get you to show up to more things. 
we're doing this, we're entering this series. Because when I ask people how their relationship is going with Jesus, people will often say something to me like, it's going good. But, and if I'm quiet for long enough, or if I prod them a little, they'll say something like, it's hard to be a Christian at school. Or they'll say something like, it's hard to remember God in the busyness of my work every day. I kind of get to the end of the day and I realise that I haven't really thought about Jesus all day. And I don't like that. Or they'll say, they'll say things like, I always leave Sunday feeling really kind of, you know, ready to go. But by about Tuesday, you know, Wednesday... I find myself starting to feel a bit dry, a bit disconnected. They'll say things if they're really honest, like, you know, I, sometimes I don't even feel like a Christian during the week. This series is about getting really practical with those questions. It's about looking at the habits that Jesus lived and that he taught. It's, it's about looking at the way that the first church lived. It's about looking at the lives of people today who don't live good but lives. It's about looking at the lives of people today who live with energy and joy and excitement. In the, you've met people like that, haven't you? Those kind of seven-day Christians and they're just pumped on Wednesdays and they're excited on Thursdays and they can't wait for Fridays. And we're going to ask ourselves, what can we learn from those people? What can we learn from the way that Jesus lived? What can we do with our lives when we look at the way that the first church lived? How can we change the way that we live? How can we move from being a weekend Christian to a seven-day Christian? And I want to begin today by saying this, absolutely Absolutely, in my mind, no doubt where this conversation has to start. There is one foundation upon which every seven-day faith life is built. There's one thing that is always, has always been at the centre of any seven-day relationship with Jesus. And that is a daily time to connect with God. Daily time in his word, the Bible. Daily time in prayer. Daily time in worship. It's not a rule. It's not something that we do to keep God happy. It's not something that we do to tick a box or to get into heaven. It's not like that at all. This is something that people do to remain in Jesus throughout the rest of their day and throughout their week. This is new, this isn't my idea. People have been doing this for thousands of years. People have been doing this actually since before the life of Jesus, the earthly life of Jesus. But despite that, it is amazing how many people don't live this way today. It's amazing how many people wish they had a seven-day faith. 
How many people wish that their faith was more alive and more meaningful and impacted their daily life more, and yet they don't take the time to simply connect with Jesus every day. They wish things were different at work, and yet they don't read God's word every morning before they go to work. They wish they had a, a stronger faith at school or at uni, and yet they don't pray every day that God would lead them and guide them before they go. We don't spend time with God daily to impress him. We do it to change us. Yeah. A daily time with God isn't changing God, it's changing us. People have been doing it for thousands of years. Do you know why? Because it works. There's no tricks. There's no gimmicks. This isn't like someone's written a book. And, you know, this isn't the latest fad that's going to be here and gone tomorrow. People have been living like this for thousands of years simply because it works. In fact, because it works better than anything else. There is, there is quite simply no better way to stay connected with Jesus seven days a week than to spend intentional daily time with him. And there are a million ways that you can spend daily time with God. And if you know anyone who does it, you can ask 10 people and you can get 10 different answers. But I'll tell you, there's, there's almost always two things that are included somewhere. Number one is daily Bible reading and the second is daily prayer. We talk a lot about daily Bible reading in this church and we talk a lot about the idea of journaling. It's something that I've been doing for a long while and lots of us do here. It's a really simple concept. You, you grab something from the Bible and you grab a blank piece of paper or the notes on your, your, your phone or your device. <coughs> you read something and you simply ask yourself, what is this saying to me? You make some notes. You literally write it down. What you're learning from what you read. You might down, write down sort of what you're going to do with that. You know, some kind of, sometimes people call it application. You know, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to live today because of what I've read? It's just a simple way to actually engage with the word. If you don't journal, sometimes, you know, it's easy just to read something and it kind of in one ear and out the other. But if you start writing some things down, all of a sudden, you know, you engage with it in a whole different way. And journaling's great, but you don't have to journal. There, there, are, there are so many ways to engage in the Bible daily. Uh, lots of you have probably got the version app on your phone, and you maybe know this already, but there are thou literally thousands and thousands of Bible reading plans. Because one of the questions people are like, oh, I don't know. How, where would I start? Do I start reading the Bible at the beginning? Where do I start? What do I do? I, I don't know what to read. I don't know how to read it. There are literally thousands of plans out there. You can just pick one and it will tell you what to read. There are plans that will last you a whole year. There are plans that will last you a month. There are plans that will last you a week. There are plans that are geared around a, a book of the Bible. So you can say, look, I want, to read, I want to read Luke and I want to read it in a month. You can find a plan to do that. I want to read Philippians and I want to read it in a week. There are, there are Bible reading plans that are, are geared more around a, a topic or, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of in a new relationship and I want to read with the, with the Bible that says I want to learn about relationships. I want to learn about managing my money in a godly way. 
I want to learn more about the character of God. You know, we sing songs about the love of God. I want to understand more about the love of God. You can do these Bible reading plans with friends. You can you literally grab a friend and say, hey, let's do this together and, and, and you know, kind of keep one another accountable. You sort of, you know, check it off online each week and uh, each day and, you know, you can, you can kind of keep one, accountable, one another accountable that way. You know, if you don't even like to read, you can press the audio button and it will read the thing to you. <clears throat> My point is this, is that there really, there, there is just every opportunity for you to engage with God's word daily. And I'm not here to say you have to do it in a particular way. I'm not here to say, here to say you have to read this or you have to do it at this time of day or, or, or this amount. All I want to say to you is do something and do it every day. Do something and do it every day. If, if Bible reading is the first thing that will, you'll almost always find in any seven-day relationship with Jesus, the second is daily prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. We say this again a lot in this church. Prayer isn't like you don't need to practice it. You don't need to be skilled. You don't need to memorize anything to pray. Uh, it is a conversation. You can um and you can ah. And you can get lost and you can come back and you can start talking about something and then decide you want to talk about something else. Sometimes you can be silent and listen. In fact, that's a really good thing to do. You've got nothing to say. I'll just listen to what it is that God might want to say. And one of the things people often, often say about prayer is, well, I, I don't know what to say. I just sit there doing nothing and... Oh, we in this church we've often um, we use the ACT uh, as sort of acronym or guide A C T S and it just stands for adoration. You, you kind of begin by just praising God and thanking Him for who He is and, and what He's done. Confession is just uh, C for confession, where you just say, God, I'm I'm sorry for the things that I've I've done wrong. You know, would you forgive me and would you help me through that? A-C-T T stands for thanksgiving God. You know, I just want to thank you for things. I just want to thank you for my school. I want to thank you for my family. I want to thank you that I live in this country. I want to thank you that you love me. And S stands for supplication, which is a weird word, but it just makes it spell a word, right? Acts. Uh, but supplication, <laughs> it, just, it just means asking. That's the part of prayer where you say, God, would you help me with this? Would you help me through this assignment? Would you help me with this? Would you help me with that? Again, we're not saying you have to do this. It's just a guide. It just for some people can be a really helpful <laughs> way so that you don't kind of sit there going, ah, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say next. But the message is the same thing. It doesn't matter what you pray. It doesn't even really matter how long you pray. There's no points for, you know, going over five minutes. But it's just do something and do it every day. And I want to say as clearly as I can, and this is, if you like, the foundation for this series, is that there is nothing as important in creating a seven-day faith as daily time in the Bible and in prayer. There's just nothing that works as well. There is nothing that will, that will change your life. There is nothing that will set you up to be able to remain in Jesus for your whole week than daily time in the Word and daily time in prayer. It's just as simple as that. But let's be honest. <clears throat> let's be honest. I know that me standing here telling you that you should be reading the Bible every day and telling you that you should be praying every day is kind of uncool. 
We don't like being told what to do, do we? Because we've got a thousand messages a day that, we're telling, that are telling us, live your own life. Follow your own path. If it feels good, do it. Follow your gut. You do you. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We want to do things when we want to do them. And if I don't feel like doing it today, well, darn it, I'm not going to do it today. Because it's my life and I can do whatever I want. And so words like routine and discipline and daily habits are kind of unpopular in that mindset, aren't they? You know, I've been doing this a long time and I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people about this topic and about these daily habits. And I'll be honest and say, I've heard every excuse and every reason. I'm not a reader. My work is really busy. I work shifts and so my, my hours vary a lot. I, I, I can't get any sort of regular time in my day. <clears throat> I've tried, but the Bible just doesn't make sense to me. My kids, my house is just crazy in the morning. I just, there's, there's just no space to do anything like that in my mornings. Matt, it just doesn't work for me. I connect with God in other ways. I've never actually had anyone tell me another good way, but it just I connect with God in other ways. And I get it. There was a time in my life when I said some of those same things. But I just want to tell you as clearly as I can, and, and, and honestly with, with all the love for you guys that I, that I can and that I have, is that there is nothing, <clears throat> that there is no other foundation, there is nothing else that you can do to create a seven-day faith with Jesus that will be as effective as daily Bible reading and daily prayer. Mm. There just isn't. There are, there's thousands of years of history. There are millions and millions of testimonies of people. There are, I mean, if you can look, I was looking at some stuff online during the week. There are research studies and articles and reports being done all the time, like, you know, like year after year after year, they all say the same thing. There is nothing as effective in keeping a person connected with Jesus as daily Bible reading and daily prayer. There is no other foundation for a seven-day faith that is as solid as daily Bible reading and daily prayer. And I don't say that to make anyone feel guilty. I don't want anyone to think, oh, you know, I'm not measuring up. I don't want anyone to feel any pressure. I just want you, I want this series to be about you experiencing the joy and the wonder and the awesomeness that comes from having a seven-day faith. Mm. And this is simply the best way I know how to get there. So I want to encourage you <coughs> over this series, over these next half dozen weeks or so, to have a go. And I know for some of us that means we might need to change our daily routines. For some of us it means we might need to change our priorities. Some of us might need to get out of bed 15 minutes early. Yes, I'm looking at the people who live in my house. <coughs> <coughs> Probably in some other houses. But, but I, 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 
I guess what, what I'm honestly, honestly, jokes aside, what I'm saying is, do whatever it takes for you. Whatever you need to do, do. Do it with friends. Use an app. Make it fun. Keep score if you need to. You know, mark it off on the wall. If seriously, some kind of people are driven like that. You know, like if uh, people streaks. You know, I don't, want, I don't want to break the streak. I'm going for a seven-day streak of reading my Bible. If that works for you, do it. Do whatever you need to to seek first his kingdom. Do whatever you need to to remain in him. And there's just no better way, no better foundation. We're going to talk about other things, but the foundation, there's no better foundation to remain in him than to spend daily time reading his word and daily time in prayer. Because I guarantee you, whatever it takes, it will be worth it.